everyone. Welcome back to another episode of the QB Spotlight Podcast. Hope you're out there staying warm. Uh, unfortunately, uh, for the majority of our listeners, I think that you guys are not able to uh, enjoy in the same temps that we are dealing with down here in the Sunshine State. Or I shouldn't say we, that I'm dealing down here in the Sunshine State. I am Eric Henry, FIU beat writer and co-managing editor of Underdog Dynasty. As always, I'm joined by the man, the myth, the legend, the guru of QB Spotlight, Mr. Stephen Hamner. Steve, how you doing, my man? Yeah, Eric, too, too kind. And for the listeners, like, this is our first this is our first podcast where we're actually using like video for each other. So uh, it's a nice little change up for us, but uh, we are freezing down here in, in Austin, Texas, uh, like the rest of the country, but we don't know how to deal with the cold necessarily. So we're stuck, uh, but we're enjoying it. I was in Tampa last week and it was 80 degrees fly back here and it's snowing. So that's how, uh, that's how my, my uh, weather um, experience has been the past week or so, Eric couple quick notes where we get going as always you can find the podcast on twitter at qb spotlight you can find us on various podcasting platforms but specifically shout out to apple Podcasts. just search qb spotlight you'll find us there and you can find me on twitter at eric c henry underscore steve on twitter at steven s-t-e-v-e-n hamner h-a-m-n-e-r as steve mentioned we are doing this with video so for the first time you're able to see or for the first time you see both of our faces for the two percent female listenership i've done the research steve we've got 2.2 percent of female listenership you are now seeing what we look like so sorry to drop the facade uh, <laughs> that we may have been a couple of male models unfortunately we're not that with uh with steve's case that's perfectly fine because he's married for me yeah, right, yeah. Uh, I, I i guess the uh again the facade is dropped uh you mentioned really quick man before we jump into the yeah. the uh quarterbacks man uh, in Texas, you've been saying on this podcast for a while that you're trying to get me out to God's country. And I, I want to make this a PG podcast. It's always been a PG podcast. But guess what, man? You, you ain't getting my ass out to Texas no time soon if it's going to start turning to Wisconsin. I know that much. I know I'll be – because guess what? I was at the beach yesterday. Won't be there today, but I'll probably be there tomorrow. Hey, it's, uh, it'll be 70 degrees Sunday here. So we're recording Sunday. on Sunday. It'll be 70 Sunday. So just give us a few days. This is an anomaly. Us Texans don't like it, but we're tough. We fight back. We're going to push this thing away. We're going to get through it, and I'm not going to have to wear this hoodie anymore. Uh, but until then, until then, I still got sweats and hoodie, Eric. Uh, you're still coming back. You're still coming down here. You're still coming down here. Man, you sent me a great picture, and it was something that it, you know, all jokes aside, for our new listeners, you won't know this for regular listeners. You will know that I, I mentioned I've gone to grad school in Chicago, and, and it reminded me, you sent me a picture of your that's like your backyard, right? That, or, you know, you're kind of out there with your areas, you got a lake and whatnot. And it reminded me of just when Lake Michigan would freeze during the wintertime, just everything frozen. It was, it's pretty surreal to think of that being Texas, you know? So I definitely hope everyone out there is staying safe. I know there are people in the North Texas area. Um, not sure about other areas of Texas, but I know for a fact, I saw Chris Vanini of The Athletic tweet out that there are people in the North Texas area. He's out there in the Dallas-Fort Worth area who mm. have been without power for several hours now. And, being in the cold without power is not a fun deal. So hopefully everyone's out there staying safe. Yeah. But in the meantime, without further ado, we're going to get you to what you come to us for. And that is group of five quarterback talk. Got a couple great names out here we want to talk about. A couple of intriguing names. Uh, let's start with a guy who we have talked about a lot on this podcast, especially, you know, with both of us being huge fans of CUSA. And of course, me covering Conference USA. <laughs> the former Louisiana Tech, former Southern Miss quarterback, now at Mississippi State. Mr. Jack Abraham. Steve, take it away. Yeah, so this is, this is one that initially I think surprised me. I don't know if it surprised you whenever we found out he was going from Southern Miss to Mississippi State. Um, just for the fact, you know, he's 
three-year starter at Southern Miss, has, you know, all the experience in the world, over 7,000 yards passing, close to 50 total touchdowns. Um, but when I took a step back, it kind of makes sense, right? He's done all he can do at Southern Miss. There's a new coaching staff coming in. It, it would have been, I think, it would have been his fourth different Four. coordinator, right? Four. At Southern Miss, yeah. Yep. Um, and so, you know, he's kind of done all he can accomplish at that level, so to speak. And now I, he's, you know, the competitive nature inside, joining the SEC, joining Mississippi State trying to go win that competition. I think it's a, uh, I think it's kind of exciting for, you know, CUSA fans. I, if I was a Southern so Miss fan, I would be excited to see him go potentially win that job and do well in the SEC. Uh, I think he brings a lot of good stuff to the table, which I know we'll get into. But I'm interested to see and definitely hear your take on it, just, you know, because you've talked to people in the media and you've talked to kind of people that, that have like the nuts and bolts of everything. So I'm inter interested to see your take on before we dive into his qualities as quarterback and what he brings to Mississippi state. I'm interested to see kind of what, you know, the, the talk was and kind of what people thought when he initially was decided to transfer. Well, I think, I don't think too many people were surprised that he chose to transfer because of the fact that a, he has transferred before from tech to Southern Miss. And then also there's no two ways to put it. The Southern Miss situation was, I don't want to say it was dicey coming into the year, but it was definitely a situation where, you know, Southern Miss fans were growing a little bit impatient, right? You know, that, that's a program that has, they are one of the, 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 the you know, historical like stalwarts uh, of CUSA, right? Before the new incarnation with the FIUs, FAUs, Charlotte's and all those other programs they've brought in, Southern Miss has been a CUSA, you know, mainstay for a while. With that, you know, the CUSA, excuse me, the Southern Misses and Marshalls and programs like that, they expect to kind of be at the top of CUSA, right? They don't want to see these newer programs that are coming in and leapfrogging them. And I think that was some of the frustration there with the former head coach. Um, of course, Jay, I was going to draw a blank there. Jay Hobson, uh, <laughs> almost a Jack Abraham. Jay Hobson, the former uh, head coach there. There was some frustration that he couldn't kind of get over that seven win mark, right? That there were teams that were very talented. And as you see, guys like Quez Watkins were in the NFL. Uh, Tim Jones is another guy who's going to get some definite NFL looks, you know, on the offensive side. You know, they, were, they had plenty of either NFL or those like, you know, kind of borderline fringe pro players. And those weren't necessarily turning into SEC, SEC, there we go, CUSA West yeah. division titles, right? So not necessarily, not necessarily a surprise that a coaching change happened. I think this, the, the thing that put it over, you know, the tip of the, uh, the breaking point was the loss to South Alabama, you know, especially kind of being there in that region. And, and, and to bring all the way back around to Abraham, where I think that made a, a significant difference was that you could tell Again, entering this year, if everything didn't hit, and with all the opt-outs that they had going into the year, this was a situation that it looked to be, it, for lack of a better word, a rebuild. And I don't blame Jack Abraham for saying, hey, I'm going to go, especially with this year, not counting towards the eligibility, saying, hey, I'm going to go and find a home for me. What I hope is that he doesn't kind of, and, and it will come out as time you know, develops as to how things ended at Southern Miss. I hope he doesn't kind of get hit with that for lack of a better phrase, Gardner Minshew label, right? Where you can go back and look at the way Gardner Minshew left at East Carolina and you can say it wasn't necessarily handled. I think he's come out and said that, hey, he could have handled things better when he left ECU and then went to Washington State. Mike Leach, take off to the NFL, right? Yep. Jack Abraham, obviously looking out for his best interest, um, his, his you know, future pro potential. And you'll get into that as far as him being, uh, you know, his potential on the field. But we'll see how that matches up with Mississippi State. But I think especially with it being an in-state school, uh, you know, the quote-unquote 
power school or one of the power schools in state. I'm sure there are some Southern Miss fans who would feel a certain way towards him. But again, I just think it was a situation entering this year where there, there was a lot of turmoil. You know, he wasn't the only one who chose to opt out um, and then transfer. Some players opted out before the year. So we'll see how it goes. That's a good point. And, and I think the fact that, you know, he's, he's has the opportunity to play at the best conference in all college football, you would think most fans, you know, reasonable fans uh, should be happy and should be encouraged and, you know, should want to see that success form. Uh, I, I do think, I do find it, it interesting that the fact that, you know, Mississippi State has a quarterback in Will Rogers who started the majority sure. of the games uh, as a true freshman last year. They're bringing in a, a stud recruit from no other than Texas, of course, uh, who's a big four-star recruit. Um, and he's not going to start as a true freshman, but, uh, you know, he's got potential. And so they have a really good quarterback room now with Will Rogers, Jack Abraham, and that incoming freshman. Abraham's experience, I think, alone is going to set him apart. Uh, but he does have some NFL qualities that, that, you know, could be developed under Mike Leach, especially, the, you know, seeing Garden Minshew being able to go to the NFL and have some success and seeing more of some air raid systems finding their way at the NFL. So I think logically it's a good next step for Abraham. It's a good chance to potentially get developed. Um, and it's a, good, it's a good chance to play at the best level possible and have more talent around him. Although, like you mentioned, like his receivers at Southern Miss are arguably better than the receivers at Mississippi State, at least the past few years. Um, so he's, he's got some good things going for him. And, and you know, this is going to be stiff competition. But, you know, as a co competitor, as a quarterback who's had success, that's kind of all you can ask for and all you can truly want is this opportunity to compete and to potentially be the best. So, Steve, let me ask you this really quick. You know, yep. I, I think we need to get into kind of his history at Southern Miss for, you know, the greater audience who may not be familiar with him. And obviously some Mississippi State fans, you know, being in, in the state may know, but SEC fans, maybe not so much. Can you talk about him as far as one of the things, if you look at Jack Abraham, he's always been a very accurate quarterback, right? But with that accuracy, if you look at the numbers in 2018, when necessarily pushing the ball downfield a ton, 2019, they able to push the ball downfield a little bit more, especially with guys like Quez Watkins, who was a game breaker, a burner, and Tim Jones. And the completion percentage still stayed relatively high. I uh, want to ask you about that and then ask you how that translates into the Mike Leach air raid offense, considering you and I have, have had a lot of discussions about that offense and the, 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 the buzzword, you know, the hot topic word, predetermined reads uh, so just you know i gave you a lot to work with there let me know your thoughts yeah so so going back to let's, let's attack his southern miss time so 2018 so he, he, he was in a spread offense the entire time of right Southern Miss. and as you know we've talked about and our listeners probably know because anyone that listens here has a pretty good you know football iq um just because your spread doesn't mean your air raid or necessarily right you know, push the ball downfield so 2018 it was I don't want to call it a gimmicky offense, but there's lots of different screens, misdirections, kind of get the ball out real quick, which can translate well to the air raid offense. You know, a lot of times they do a quick stop and go or, or quick screen is like considered a running, a running game for the air raid offense. So he had that experience in 2018. 2019, different OC, um, and they pushed the ball downfield way more. He had more passing yards. His completion percentage dipped a little bit, but was still that 67 range, which is still a good completion percentage, especially when you're pushing the ball downfield that often. So, of course, the air raid, you want to push the ball downfield. So, not only does 2018 and 2019 – excuse me, not only does 2018 translate to the air raid, but 2019 does as well because you have some of the same concepts. And you didn't have as many predetermined reads in 2019 as he did in 2018. And then 2020 was kind of – I don't want to say a wash, but, you know, didn't play the full season. and It was just another a different OC. So, 
it was kind of hard to get a great grasp on kind of how that offense offense works. But I think going to the air raid and going to Mike Leach's uh, offense, he, he brings the experience where he can get the ball out quick, but he can also push the ball downfield. The, the one thing I would say about Abraham, which is a, it can be a positive, it can be a potential negative, is if you go back and look at some of the film, he, he's very good in the pocket, right? He's got good footwork. He's a better athlete than most people probably give him credit for. Now, he doesn't necessarily use his legs to run, but he uses it sure. five time, moves in the pocket, eyes downfield the entire time. But he has had a knack for, you know, throwing interceptions, holding on the ball too long. Like in 2019, he had eight picks between FAU and Louisiana Tech combined for, for each game, and those are the, probably the better defenses in Conference USA. So that kind of makes you think a little bit, okay, maybe I'm holding on the ball too long. So I think if you can go to Mike Leach and be developed where, okay, I don't have to hold on the ball this long. I can still go through my reads. They're not all predetermined as, uh, per se um, and be developed a bit more than I think those interceptions can go down. But I think overall the experience he has and being multiple kind of spread schemes is going to fit in really, really well at Mississippi State. I'm glad you mentioned the picks and you know I know some people may look at the numbers 19 touchdowns 15 interceptions in 2019 of course a part of that came with pushing the ball downfield a little bit more but b kind of take it with a little bit of grain of salt as you mentioned those picks kind of came in bunches you had four against uh, FAU which you mentioned one of the better defenses in the time at Conference USA and then four against Louisiana Tech again two guys in the NFL Amik Robertson L. Jarius Sneed with the Oakland Raiders and Kansas City Chiefs, respectively. So going against two NFL DBs, certainly not something you're going to see every day in Conference USA. So, you know, of those 15 picks, eight of them came in two games, right? He wasn't necessarily a turnover machine, per se. And then you talk about with his legs, he did score six rushing touchdowns in 2019. So he's a guy who, of course, in, co in college football, sacks count against your rushing yards. So he had uh, negative rushing yards in 2018. But in 2019, he stayed in the positive mark, which, again, when stacks are going against your, your rushing total, you know, you, it's, it's a good thing. If, if you are, if you're able to, you know, maintain a positive yardage <laughs> despite the sacks, you're doing all right. Definitely can, can use your legs. One quick thing that I want to ask you about, because I know you've had a chance to break down the film a little bit, arm strength. I think that's the one thing that I have been curious about with him because of the fact that a, he wasn't pushing the ball downfield in 2018 and B I don't want to say he's a slight frame. Cause he's not a small guy. He's not, you know, a, a diminutive like miniature guy. He's a legit six, three, but last I checked, Jack did look kind of slight around 190, 195-ish. Maybe he's put some meat on that frame as, you know, he's taken the rest of 2020 off into 2021. What do you see as far as arm strength? And, and then granted, and, and then, okay, well, what do you see as far as arm strength? And the second part of that question, how crucial is arm strength to being efficient in the Mike Leach offense? Because when you look at the guys who come out of those offenses, not necessarily, you know, guys who have cannons for an arm per se. Right. So – uh, I'll hit the, the last question first. I don't think it's that important to have uh, a super strong arm in Mike Leach's offense. I think if you know the offense like the back of your hand, then I think that, that trumps everything else. That's priority. So that's number, that's number one. Number two, I do think he has plenty of arm strength. I wouldn't go as – he's not going to have like a rocket, um, you know, like, like a Trevor Lawrence or a Justin Fields has. But he has enough to push it downfield. And whatever he lacks in arm strength, he can make up for an accuracy. If you just go back and look at the film, even pushing the ball downfield, putting the ball where only his receivers can catch it. I, I think people get confused when they hear accuracy. They mean they think it has to be like a perfect ball. I, I kind of sure. view accuracy more of, okay, can the DB catch it? He can't. Okay, the receiver can catch it. Great. It's an accurate type of ball, right? So sure. the receiver can't catch it. So um, I think he's got – enough arm to make every throw he's going to need to make in Mike Leach's offense. I just think it comes down to knowing that offense, knowing the scheme, knowing what to do when a linebacker is in a different position, knowing where to go with the ball is going to trump arm strength. 
Yeah. And you know what, really quick, not to kind of come off as the QB guru, because that's certainly your role, but I'll jump in here and give a little yeah. bit of my, uh, my very small football expertise here. I think there's a couple types of accuracy, right? So if, if you, you can't hit the backside of the barn, then, you know, that's a, a, a sign of not being accurate. But as you mentioned, there's also putting the ball where only your guy can get it, right? Now, that is a level of accuracy. And then there's also, you know, hey, you're putting in, in, in a situation where it's uncatchable and you're overthrowing guys, and that's a level of accuracy as well. So, you know, if a guy's completing 50% of his passes, that could be for a multitude of reasons within the offense, or he could just not be an accurate thrower, right? So th there's various reasons that can happen. Um, want to ask you one last thing, Steve, before we transition to Jace Reuter. Can you bring our listeners in as someone who's played in various offenses? In your, if you're going into, let's say, a pro-style offense, right? You know you're going to have certain routes, certain throws you're going to have to make, right? Like, for example, you know, maybe in a, in a more traditional pro-style offense, you're going to need to hit that, you know, if a guy's run that deep dig, right? You know, you got to be able to put it on and where only that guy can get it. What are some of the throws in the air raid offense that are, are you know, just have to make throws in, in, yeah. from what your experience, what you've seen? So I think in today's age, in today's game, like a back shoulder fade is like a have to make throw. You can probably say that in any offense, but especially sure. in the air raid where you do push the ball downfield, uh, you've got to be able to make that throw, especially when they have, uh, you know, most of the time to, to defend the air raid, they might have like a cover two deep or cover four even where they're trying to keep everything under. So if they take away the deep ball, you got to be able to kind of hit, hit, hit underneath. Um, and then most of the air raid, depending on how many option routes they have, option routes meaning, you know. I was going to say, can you explain that really quick yeah, for the listeners so they know? Yeah. If I'm a slot receiver and I have an option route, like let's say you have an, what's called an umbrella and I'm looking at the safety. An umbrella means, okay, depending what the safety does, I can run a seam, I can run a post, corner, dig, out. So I have an umbrella of options to, to throw. So I don't think it's necessarily what throws are most important in the air raid. I think it's, I think it's what reads are going to be mo most important uh, and getting the ball out quick. Um, and, and, and so th there's not a specific throw. I don't think in Mike Leach's offense, um, but I think there'll be some specific reads that may sound complex, but are, you know, really pretty easy to, to determine usually it's like a it's like a one defender read it's like for example if I have a slot receiver and I have a, a running back and we know that you know we're mashed up in man a blitzer is coming I'm reading that linebacker if that linebacker takes the running back doing a quick swing or a quick little out route then I'm taking I'm throwing to my slot receiver doing a quick hitch if the sure. linebacker is taking that receiver doing the hitch I'm dumping it quick out to the running back. So just basic reads like that, but it can also be complex where you have those umbrella type reads. And that's where, you know, being on the same page as your receiver is going to be so important. Uh, we'll save, you know, a little more X's and O's for future podcasts. But I definitely have one more question about, you know, your, uh, your short, your short medium and, and, uh, and um, your, your intermediate, your, your, your shallow and your deep routes yeah. uh, as far as that offense. But we'll come back to that a little later on. We'll transition to Jace Reuter. Uh, Want to get your thoughts on him. Definitely an interesting situation at North Texas where Jason Bean, was splitting time with Austin Ani last year. He chose to transfer out. We talked about Bean on a previous podcast, a very dynamic athlete who really, you know, coming out of high school maybe didn't get the attention he deserved. But I think after this year showed that he can be a legit dual threat, legit track yeah. uh, speed. So we'll see where his future lands. As far as Austin Ani, we'll have to see what the former New York Yankees farmhand, the former Yankees third baseman, uh, what he'll be able to do coming back. I believe he is 28 years old entering this year, if, if my memory serves me correct. Had a solid year last year, even though he split time. But coming in, Jace Reuter, 
very talented coming out of high school. You know, we'll have to see uh, where that QB battle plays out. But just what do you see on Reuter? What, what do you think he can bring to that Seth Latrell offense as they're finally looking to uh, fully replace Mason Fine, former, you know, uh, North Texas standout? Yeah, it's, it's funny. I think, and you'd probably agree, you know, because you interact with a lot of um, UNT fans. And, and being in Texas, I interact with several of them. It's funny how, like, when you have a quarterback like Mason Fine, who was a stud for several years, you get so spoiled to that position. And then when there's, like, just a little bit of a drop-off, it's like a, oh, my gosh, what's going on? Um, but I think I think the biggest thing with Reuter is, obviously, there's, there's really no film on him from college. You have a few plays here and there from the past few years. Um but I think if you go back and look at his high school film, he, he was the best athlete on the field, uh, over a thousand yards rushing and passing his senior year. Definitely a dual threat guy. He, he played defense uh, in high school as well. So there you go. Uh, sure. Uh, like yeah, it speaks to his athleticism. Uh, so I think he, and based off that film, he showed the the tools to to potentially be developed and be a good quarterback. He had offers from several big time schools from Baylor. Uh, let's see, I got a list, Iowa, uh, Penn State, Florida State, Ole Miss. And so he had a bunch of big-time offers, chose UNC, and then, you know, lost the quarterback competition to Sam Howell, who uh, is probably going to be a first-round pick. So I think that alone, the fact that he lost – he was in competition up until, you know, throughout camp in 2019, lost to Sam Howell, even though, you know, he obviously wanted to win the battle. It's not necessarily a bad thing that he lost out to a, a future first-round pick most likely. So I think the competition is wide open with, with him and Austin Ani. Obviously, if you talk to a lot of UNT fans and people that have you know ears, ears to the ground, so to speak, they probably are thinking Reuters the the favorite to win, and, and I probably probably would agree, would agree, would agree off the top of my head. Um, but I think he's the, the fact that he's got so many tools to develop. He does have a strong arm. Uh, he's a good athlete, and, and he he brings a lot to the table. Uh, I think that that alone is something that is going to excite the fan base, but also make the quarterback room better, even though they lost Jason Dean. Let me ask you this. When you look at North Texas offense, right? And of course we've got to ask, you know, the first and foremost question, what type of fit do you believe he can be in that offense? And secondly, how does that offense compare to maybe what he ran in college um, at, at UNC or more specifically with more majority of his film, what he ran in high school? Yeah. So in, in high school, he was like, I want to. I don't know if he. I think he passed for more yards than he ran, but it was only like a couple hundred. Like he ran. He was the. Sure. He was like their, their 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 center guy, right? And a lot of the offense was around him running the ball, which is going to be different at North Texas, right? You want to get the ball out quick. You want to push it downfield, get the ball out quick, kind of uh, do some set you up, set set up the deep ball, right? We're going to uh, sure. short here, set up the deep ball, push it downfield some. I think UNT actually did a decent job last year pushing the ball downfield, but it was the kind of the short to intermediate. Uh, plays that they kind of lack to keep the drive going, the consistency. So I think with Jace Reuter, if he can come in and learn that offense, I don't know if it necessarily – I don't know how they view his running ability. I don't know if they're going to put that into some of the offensive game plan or the offensive scheme. Um, they, they did some with Jason Dean last year, so I would imagine that they can with Reuter. But while Reuter isn't the, doesn't have the speed that Dean has, he's still going to be a capable runner, especially in Conference USA. And he, he probably has a better arm and probably has a better, better feel and better touch in his passes than what they had last year at the position. So I, I think they – like, like what UNT did last year where they tried to make Bean and Ani fit the position where they had more running plays and they had with Mason Fine, I think they can have that this year with Reuter but have more success and more – like a higher completion percentage. That's what they really lack, that completion percentage, keeping drives consistent. 
when you look at Mason Fine's numbers, and I just want to pull these up really quickly. Obviously, everyone knows about his you know prolific numbers as a passer, over twelve thousand yards, twelve thousand five hundred five yards to be exact during his four years in North Texas, ninety three TDs, thirty four picks. But people don't realize again, sack yardage will be accounted in when you're in the the college game. But three hundred twenty five carries in his career, you know, for yeah. for um for Mason Fine. So obviously, someone who, while not necessarily considered a scrambler, a runner per se. Someone who, if you need to get out of the pocket, may pick up a few yards here or there. That is something that may need to happen. That's not to say that Austin Ani can't. I mean, you're obviously a tremendous athlete if you've played two sports. So let's at at exactly. you know essentially maybe not you know you wasn't the third baseman at, at Yankee Stadium, but uh, a third baseman in the minor leagues. You know, Steve, you know in your in your professional life, but yeah. it takes a certain amount of talent to be able to do that, right? So he obviously is someone who can use his legs. So we'll see what happens with Chase Reuter as well. Uh, Steve, really quick, before we transition into our last guy, I want to ask you one more thing about the North Texas quarterback uh, situation there. You mentioned the inability for really just the, the short intermediate game, right? Can you just talk about how crucial that is? Again, with Seth Luttrell, it's not like they're running a, you know, hurry up, uh, no huddle offense. But in terms of just if the rushing attack, which is something that's been hit or missed during Seth Luttrell's time in North Texas isn't there, how crucial that short and intermediate passing game is to keeping drives alive? I think, it, I think it's huge, especially in like third and medium, third and five, third and six. Like you can't just chunk the ball downfield the whole time. Uh, and it, it showed last year where they might go three or four series without getting a first down and then boom, long touchdown, which is great. You know, you can strike up the band real quick. But I think I think what gets missed out is you can still have a successful drive even if you don't score points necessarily. I know that's kind of like a counterintuitive thought process, but if I can put two to three first downs together, get from the 20, my own 20 to the 50 or to a points 45, I've just transitioned. I've just kind of, uh, I've, I've, I've transitioned the, the, the field position and where I didn't score, I still put some successful drives together. I've got some confidence going. I've seen plays that work and don't work. Whenever I have several three and outs, whenever I can't convert a third and four, whenever I can't convert a, a, a second and five, second and six, whatever it may be, then I kind of get behind the eight ball and I have to start calling plays that aren't uh, high percentage plays, high percentage successful plays. Uh, I have to call some deep balls. And while it works and it's great and it's cool for the highlights, a lot of times those seven-yard passes, eight-yard passes, 10-yard passes are what keeps drives alive. And so if that's what keeps drives alive but I can't convert that, then uh, a lot of my drives are, are not going to be kept alive, right? And so um, I, I think that's something that – and that's something that's just like repetitive, repetitive, repetitive getting the receivers and quarterbacks on the same page, right? Anyone can go out and throw a deep ball to, to a good athlete. And he can make a play. But can you be on the same page in a five-yard out, three-yard slant, whatever it may be? That, that's kind of a different story. And, Steve, really quick, just a point that you're making there. When you don't have Jalen Darden anymore, you, yeah. can't, bail, you can't, can't get bailed out on, on third and eight, right? Just toss up to a guy who's probably going to be an NFL receiver coming up this year. So the final quarterback we're going to talk about is T. Webb for the Southern Miss fans who are around. We've told you about your former quarterback. Yeah. I'm going to tell you you got a guy who could potentially be your future quarterback. Makes the transition from Louisville to Southern Miss and Hattiesburg. Former three-star prospect. Want to get your thoughts on T-Webb. Take it away, Steve. Yeah, so T-Webb, similar to, to Reuter, even though he's a few years uh, younger. He's a freshman this year at, uh, at Louisville. Signed for the, the 2020 class. <clears throat> like Eric said, three-star, like the 86-ish range, uh, according to 24-7 sports. Had offers from Georgia Tech, Miami, Temple. So a, a, a good athlete. Uh, a, a good good quarterback out of high school. No film from college, though. So based off his film for high school, which we were able to go over, uh, he, he showed a good arm, very smooth delivery. He's polished in the pocket. And he showed enough 
athleticism to run when he needed to. It wasn't like the center of his game, like, like Reuters was in high school. Uh, but, but he has enough ability. He actually reminded me of uh, a less athletic Michael Pratt, but a better arm, better polished as a quarterback. And the reason <laughs> Michael Pratt is because of Will Hall, who was the offensive coordinator at, at Tulane the past few years. And Michael Pratt being the, uh, the quarterback last year for Tulane, who had a good amount of success, was probably the surprise of all quarterbacks in the American athletics. So, I think that is, that T Webb's going to be a good fit for, excuse me, for Will Hall's offense. Um, it, it's interesting because this is the second quarterback. This is the second year in a row they've had a quarterback from the transfer portal. Last year they got Trey Lowe, I believe Trey, yeah, Trey Lowe from Trey Lowe, yeah, yeah, from West West Virginia, uh, who actually has, has similar qualities that that uh, T Webb has as well, but it's probably a better athlete. Uh, but had some success last year, and you know, whenever they beat FAU, had a good game. The score was like 45-31. I remember that game so well because I bet the under, and uh, I did, that did not hit. Uh, for y'all don't know, Eric is not a betting man. Uh, I, I happen to uh, maybe have a problem. But anyways, um, I, I think that this he adds to the, to the quarterback room. You needed to, you needed to, to replace Jack Abraham, uh, not just as a starter, but you need to have some, some quality depth there. And so regardless who wins the competition, T-Webb, T Trey Lowe, or someone else, I think T-Webb does fit Will Hall's offensive system. And, and I, I think that the room is better because he has transferred there. Steve, really quick, let's throw Southern Miss fans a bone here. And I know I'm just throwing this at you, you know, on the fly here. What do you think about Will Hall's offensive system? It's something that I think Southern yeah. Miss fans seem to be very optimistic about points being on the scoreboard. I, I just wrote a piece about potential offensive player of the year candidates, and they do have some talent on offense. They had, they have, excuse me, a former Juco All-American wide receiver, Jason Brownlee, who had a really solid year despite all the turmoil last year. I believe was second in Conference USA in yards per catch, just a shade under 19. And then, of course, we will be hearing the name Frank Gore for years to come because if you thought you were done when Frank Gore Sr. retires, Frank Gore Jr. had an excellent freshman year at Southern Miss. He plays just like his dad, you know, similar size and everything. So they have some talent on offense. But just as far as that Will Hall offensive scheme, just what do you see? Let's throw, you know, Golden Eagle fans a bone here. Yeah, so the, the, the offense is, if you look at it, so the past few years, had, if you go back to Tulane, Tulane had Justin McMillan and as their starting quarterback for the majority of 2019. And then Michael Pratt for 2020, that he started the majority of the games. And when Michael Pratt took over offensively, they were head and shoulders better. And what, what I think the, the two-lane offense kind of looks like, it's, it's not an option attack, but you have some, like, you have a lot of options, option schemes in it. You have a lot of RPOs in it. But you also have just traditional uh, option attacks where I'm running the option. If I'm the quarterback, I'm running towards the defensive end. If I see his numbers, I'm pitching it. If I don't see his numbers, I'm keeping it. So you have some like traditional option schemes that come with it. So you want a quarterback that can move around. He doesn't have to be like a dynamic athlete necessarily. Like, like Michael Pratt is by no means a dynamic athlete, but he's capable as a runner and he can use his legs. And so that's why he was successful at Tulane, uh, just like Justin McMillan was. And they, they are both good enough passers. Uh, so I think for Southern Miss fans, if I have a quarterback that is good enough as a runner, but is a more polished passer than, say, McMillan was and Michael Pratt, Pratt was last year, who, by the way, side note, I think Pratt's going to be great. But I think if, if I can have a more polished quarterback that can run a little bit, then that offense is only going to be better. Uh, they, they do push the ball downfield more than what people would probably think in that type of offense, uh, but it definitely goes off option-type schemes. They have RPOs-type schemes, and so you want the quarterback to at least have some type of threat that he's going to be able to run the ball. 
As always, you can find our podcast on Twitter at QB Spotlight. You can find Steve on Twitter at S-T-E-V-E-N, Hamner, H-A-M-N-E-R. You can find me on Twitter at Eric C. Henry underscore. Steve, really quick, where else can you find this podcast? So um, go to Draft Diamonds on Twitter. It's at Draft Diamonds, or their website is www.nfldraftdiamonds.com. They put out a lot of great information for, like, like uh, G5 schools, FCS, D2, D3, they help find like kids, like diamonds in the rough is what they call. And they've helped uh, help kids get some attention for the, for the NFL. They do a great job. They put it on our podcast. So go check them out if, if uh, you know, you're interested. Also, uh, anyone's interested in making their own podcast, uh, we use Podbean for our host. We'll put down the, the link below so you can check it out. And, um, you know, if you're interested in it, just click one of those links and you'll get some type of discount, I think. Uh, I don't even know what they want me to say, but, you know, <laughs> that. And so it did my job there. And also, real quick, Eric, do we want to touch on that question that we had? We yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We're not done just yet. We just want to, want to get that out of the way. You got one more question from our guy, Joe Broback, you know, my yeah. fellow SB Nation underdog dynasty. Go ahead and take away with that question, Steve. So uh, was the, qu- the question was, how does – was it – the, the question was essentially, you know, with Gus Malzahn, for anyone who may not be familiar know, in the know, Gus Malzahn, the former Auburn head coach, was hired at UCF. How does Dylan Gabriel fit that offense? And will Gus Malzahn need to make adjustments with his offense for a quarterback like Dylan Gabriel? So what I think you should do here before, you know, we don't want to assume that all our listeners know the intricacies of the Gus Malzahn offense versus what they've been running at UCF. So can you just first talk about the differences between what they're running at Auburn and Gus Malzahn, for those who don't know, very much in up-tempo, even from his time at high as a high school coach, a up-tempo, no-huddle offense, uh, as opposed to what they're doing at UCF, which on paper may seem the same, but there are some certain differences that within the quarterback would be expected. So just talk about that first. Yeah, so I think tradition at UCF, uh, going back to what UCF's offense has been, they've been no-huddle, but they want to push the ball downfield. They want to go, 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 go. They, they almost – use the passing game to set up the run game uh, would that be a fair probably that, that, I, that would be fair UCF where the, the exact opposite would be for Gus Malzone like he wants to run the ball they're fast tempo but they want to run the ball to set up the passing right. game and a lot of times you'll see like one or two route uh, combinations as a uh, at that Auburn offense traditionally whereas UCF you'd see four or five go four or five guys almost every single play. The only time there won't be five guys is when UCF's uh, running back or if they have a tight end and they're keeping him in to, 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 to pass protect. Um, and so Auburn's offense is for, for Gus Malzahn. Gus Malzahn's offense, I'll, I'll stop saying Auburn's offense. It, it's kind of like a weird offense to, to describe. It's almost like gimmicky. For I don't want to like – I don't mean that in a bad way. but it, I know what you're saying. It, it has certain elements that do appear – like smoke and mirrors. Yeah, exactly. A lot of misdirection, a lot of motion, a lot of predetermined throws and with not a ton of necessarily um, option routes like we talked about earlier, a bunch of guys going downfield. So I think – I don't want to say I think because Gus Malzone is way more successful than I can ever dream about being at football but uh, or, or coaching. But I think when you have a quarterback like Dylan Gabriel and you have the receivers and the speed like UCF has, I think it only makes sense to kind of mold that offense in a way to make it fit – fit Gabriel as opposed to try to make Gabriel uh, do what he had Bo Nix do at Auburn. If you look at this past few quarterbacks that he's had, Bo, Neck, Bo Nix has not lived up to, to the standards that they necessarily want, even though he's got a lot of talent. The quarterback before Bo Nix, Jarrett Stidham, uh, pro-style quarterback, obviously a lot of talent, can rip it, can throw it downfield, drafted by the Patriots, but did not have the years that people wanted 
But I think that's because of the offensive system, not necessarily because of their lack of talent. So I think it, going to UCF and you have a potentially the best quarterback in America, if not the best, one of the best, I don't think you want to limit his, uh, his approach and limit his ability, which Mazon's a, Mazon's a smart guy. I wouldn't imagine he does that. Um, so I think it's interesting, though. I think it's interesting, like, what's he, what's he going to do? Uh, what, what's your take on it being a UCF just diehard alum, you know? Well, let me ask this really quick before we, you know, get into my UCF uh, alumni. Uh, uh, let, me, let me ask you this. What do you see from Dylan Gabriel? Do you think in terms of just his style as a passer, you know, obviously a tremendous passer. I mean, he's someone who to be, you know, if you take a look at it, he may even be, quote unquote, a more accomplished passer than Mackenzie Milton. Now, Mackenzie Milton was a special type of player. Yeah. And I shouldn't say was. He's making his comeback at Florida State. But was a special type of playmaker, whether it was a, as, as a runner where Gabriel might not be as dynamic. But Dylan Gabriel, in terms of accuracy, yeah. might be one of the top five most accurate quarterbacks in the nation. Um, but just what do you think from, you see from him as a quarterback? I'm maybe uh, I'm biased, not necessarily as a UCF alum, but as a fan of G5 football. Yeah. I think Dylan Gabriel's as good as any quarterback Gus Malzahn's had at Auburn, if not better. And, yep. and, and I do think that um, I'm a huge believer. You can't try to put a, a square peg in a round hole, right? So, yes, Gus Malzahn's going to want to come in and, you know, insert his offensive principles, which, quite frankly, have been very successful. But with that being said, I don't think you can just hamstring, you know, handcuff Dylan Gabriel as well. You got to allow him to do what he can, especially with the train, the, excuse me, the playmakers they have there. I almost said Trey makers because I believe Trey Nixon should be coming back there, should be the number one receiver for UCF, but um, with, with Marlon Williams and, and other guys graduating. So uh, take away from there, just, you know, that quick question as far as Dylan Gabriel and, and his fit. I think you, you, you nailed it. You don't want to try to force something that doesn't fit. Um, so Gabriel, back to your point about being potentially the best quarterback that, that Mazon's had, uh, Bo Nix being a former five-star, Jarrett Stedham being a fourth-round pick, third-round pick, whatever it was in the, in the NFL. That's definitely high praise, and I definitely would not disagree with that. Um, you could probably even say that Gabriel is, one, he's definitely more accurate, but is that because of the offensive scheme or just him as a quarterback in general? Probably a little bit of both. Uh, so you hope that that scheme doesn't take away his, his uh, ability to complete deep balls downfield, which he's one of the best throwers in college football of, one of the best quarterbacks in college football of completing balls downfield, pushing the ball downfield. So you hope you keep that scheme. You hope you keep that type of uh, ability in the offense. And I think you, you hit it. You just don't want to force that on Gabriel. Can he do some of the stuff that Bo Nix did? Sure. But he's not the runner that Bo Nix is. Can he move his legs? Sure. Of course. But that's not what he wants to do. He's his, his best ability is when he's sitting in the pocket and he has different options. He can pick apart the defense. You, you put a zone defense and Dylan Gabriel, you're, you're toast, right, for the most part. So I think there's a way to combine what Malzahn wants to do with what fits Gabriel's uh, skill set as well. And you just hope – you hope outside looking in, you hope – well, for UCF's sake, but for Dylan Gabriel's development's sake, that, um, that the system helps him to continue to develop and continue – to allow him to succeed like he has been, if that kind of answers the question. I'm, I'm kind of just, I'm kind of in the boat where let's see what happens. And let's hope that, that the gimmicky offense, for lack of better terms, does not overtake what UCF has. Sure. And really quick, Trey Nixon did declare for the NFL draft. So it's going to be Flash Robinson. Jalen Robinson, the former Oklahoma transfer, will be, should be the number one guy for UCF. But yeah, 
Broback, thank you for that question. We've got to get you on the pod as soon as possible. We'll make our schedules work out and get Joe's a take. He is a uh, very much a savant to G5 football himself, so got to get him on. Thank you, everyone, for listening. As always, the only way this podcast can grow is by leaving us reviews. So whether it's Podbean, iTunes, YouTube. Steve's got the YouTube page as well going, QB Spotlight, correct? QB, at QB Spotlight on YouTube, we got it. Yep. So, so you can get uh, further detailed breakdowns on the three guys we talked about today, as well as past quarterbacks we've talked about as well. So leave reviews there as well and suggestions who you want to hear from. Let us know. We'll make it happen. Thank you for listening. Everyone stay safe out there. Happy football watching and football will be right around the corner, almost springtime. So spring football on the, on the way. Some of these quarterback battles we'll get into. Happy listening. Excuse me. Happy football watching. And thank you for listening, everybody.